Hey, Andy Elms here. Glad you could join me for The Spiritual Leader. Today, we're gonna to take some time to look at something I was sharing on recently, which is all around vision. Sit back, listen, hope you enjoy. Today, I wanna to talk about the importance of vision. And vision has always been a key thing for me. And often when people describe me, they would refer to me as a visionary. Um, that's because I place great importance on on what vision is. Uh, number one in a person's life, it's vital that a person has vision um, in every aspect of a life. Vision for uh, their relationships, vision for marriage, um, vision for how they want to raise their children, vision for their finances. Vision is a, a very important thing. It's the art of having a plan or seeing the way forward. But I also believe that vision is a very key thing for an organisation or for a church. Remember, the church is an organisation, but we're not just an organisation. We're a spiritual organisation that we have a heavenly agenda to what we do. But I've always seen over the last 20 odd years, the last nearly 30 years um, of leading church and leading ministry, the importance of vision. What does Proverbs say about vision? And the key verse that we often use when we're speaking about vision it's Proverbs 29 verse 18, isn't it? Where it says in, in the NIV translation that, um, you know, without vision, people cast off restraint. <clears throat> I've really seen that many times, both in people's lives, but also in church areas as well. But when people begin to lose vision or not concentrate on vision, it's easy for them to cast off restraint. Uh, not bad restraints, good restraints, things that have held them in the purposes of God, things that are held them walking in the ways of God. It's amazing when vision begins to be removed, suddenly people can uh, begin to free themselves from restraints that God wants on them, that causes them to go in a correct direction. Um, so yeah, that's a great translation, the NIV, people cast off restraint. But I kind of like the King James translation even better when it says, where there is no vision, people perish. And uh, if you study that word perish, it's a horrible word. It means merely exist. And uh, that kind of references a person going round in the same old circles, doing the same old things, but not heading anywhere new or experiencing anything new. And that's not the intention of God for us in our lives, in our families, um, even in our finances, but especially in church. God doesn't want his church just going round in the same old circles, in this boredom, in this monotony of, well, this is what we've always done, this is what we always do. Don't get me wrong, there's certain blueprints that God gives us for being church, but within those blueprints, there's so much room and permission for growing and adventures and expansion. So vision is a key thing. Um, to me, uh, vision uh, isn't just a key thing, uh, it, it's the main thing. It really is because vision is the key for keeping things fresh and keeping things alive. Without vision, things perish. They just uh, rot. They slowly, when I think of something perishing, I think of a candle burning away its last piece of wax before one day it, it's gone. That's not the intention of God for your life or for church. You see, vision keeps things fresh. Vision keeps things alive. Vision keeps things moving 
in a direction and uh, even better, the right direction. <laughs> Again, vision is key in your life today. If you've lacked vision or you're lacking vision, get vision because vision is key for your life and every subsection of your life. But also vision is key for our church, for Abney Church, for this wonderful thing that the Lord's had us to do together called being church. So in church, um, I don't pull any punches. I really believe in church, vision is the key and central thing. Not that other things, other components are not important. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is all that we do in church is important, but vision is key because within vision is our ongoing, it's our future, it's our tomorrow. Now, other areas are important, but let me underline again, I don't think they're as important. The Bible doesn't say where there's no management. The Bible doesn't say where there's no creativity. The Bible says where there's no vision, things perish. People cast off restraint. People lose their way. People forget why they're existing or what they set out to do. So again, without undervaluing other things like management and creativity, we need to understand that vision, vision is key. Why is it key? Because vision feeds and gives direction to the other components, the other parts. Now, again, I've spoken about two other components. There's many components when we talk about um, doing church specifically. Let me just park vision for your life over here for a moment and really speak a kind of 101 leadership regarding vision in the church. Why is vision important? Because the other components, let's just take two components today. Let's talk management, the managing of the church and creativity, the creative of the church. Vision feeds and gives direction to both of these other very key things or components in church life. Now, both of these things are at their best when they're serving vision. Ask anyone involved in anything to do with the management of ministry. And they will tell you that the management of ministry, a very key aspect, is at its best when it's serving clear vision. You see, the management then has something to manage. And it's the same with creativity. I'm so thankful for creative people. But creative people need vision. Creative people need visionaries. Otherwise, they can be very, very busy doing things, producing things, but sometimes there's no point to them. So again, not undervaluing, management is key. Love everything that we do that involves management in family church. Creative is key. Love everything we do with creative. But I want to underline again today the importance of vision. I want to orbit around these two other departments today to show you how, let me say it again, I believe they're at the very best when they're in submission to um, or being led by strong vision, serving strong vision. Management is key. How do we do so much in family church that we do? How, how, do we, how do we produce so much, not just in one congregation, but in many congregations, not just in England, but also in the Philippines? How, how do we keep success in our food banks and the other outreaches that we're doing? A lot of that's about management. You see, management takes vision and then puts vision into action, um, gives traction to vision, um, adds to it the things it needs to be sustainable. <clears throat> I've often um, said of myself as a visionary that I'm so thankful for people 
who believe that the Lord's called them to serve the vision that God's given me. I'm thinking of incredible legends. There's so many of them, the pastors of the church. But specifically, I think of Pastor Stuart, who finds his fulfilment in the core that the Lord's given him in serving another man's vision. And we've often said, me and Stuart, that we're, a, we're very, very much an incredible partnership of giftings and different ways of wiring that the Lord's brought together for his purposes. <clears throat> uh, we've often uh, put it this way, but I'm very high vision. And without someone like Stuart, without the management type person of Stuart and the other incredible people that do management within Family Church, I, like a drill bit, would make a lot of holes. But I could be in danger of burying myself alive. Because if I keep drilling, I keep producing things that need to be managed. And if I haven't got good management that's backing me up, then I'm going to bury myself alive, aren't I? Um, equally, if Stuart and the management guys didn't have me, <clears throat> if the elders, if the directors of Family Church didn't have an Andy, didn't have a visionary, they would be sitting around discussing things but not really knowing the way forward. They'd be managing things that are already managed and heading towards the ocean of over-management. So it's this combination act. You see, when we look at the Ascension gifts, I want to talk in a few weeks on the Ascension gifts. It's amazing that everything that was in Christ, um, when he ascended, the Bible says he gave gifts to men. And these are what we call Ascension gifts and also the offices of ministry that we read about in Ephesians 4. And what Jesus did was he took everything that was in him and he shared it out among a number of different people. Because in him, he was able, uh, the son of God was able to be all of those things. But in us, God shares out different gifts and personality types and abilities so that when we work together in harmony, we produce incredible things. But it's not all on one person. But again, let me say, management needs to be able to serve vision. Management that's not serving vision um, may do something for a while, but it won't have a future. Um, so management's important, but again, management is at its best, whether it's a trustee, a director, um, executive teams are at their best when they're submitted in serving vision. That's a biblical order, I believe. But let's look at the creative. Again, I'm so thankful that we've got incredible creative people within Family Church, whether that creative is what we're doing with our media or <clears throat> that creative is what we're doing with worship, um, wh whichever way creative goes off in a direction. I'm so thankful for all of our creative people. But we need to understand that just as management puts action to vision, creation gives expression to vision. When I was preparing this morning, I thought of that. I thought, that's a great statement. So I scribbled it down. And I thought I'd share that with you guys today. That you see, creative isn't something on its own that can produce on its own. Creative creative departments, creative people, people who carry a gift of creative, they, like management, need to be submitted to something bigger than themselves, which is vision. Because when a creative person or a creative department has vision, it then has something that it can excel in. Um, remember, the purpose of the creative, I believe, one of its key purposes is to give expression to vision. So vision comes and then management comes in and says, right, this is how we protect vision. This is how we make vision sustainable. This is how we make vision arrive where it wants to go. 
But then creative comes along and says, right, let's help people to understand what vision looks like. Let's give vision character. Let's give vision personality. Let's give expression to this vision that's been handed to us. <coughs> and as we work together, the creative, the management and the visionary, we can really achieve something that catches people's attentions, enables them to know what we're doing, but also give them something that wants them to join in with us in what we're doing. So in family church, which is just an example I can use because it's an example of that I know, in family church, we have got incredible management teams. We really do. <clears throat> the different people in the different layers of how we manage things. So thankful for our management teams. But let me say again, they're at their best when they're serving and submitted to vision. We have incredible creative teams, seeing what our guys are doing with online church, seeing what our musicians are doing, and every other expression of creativity that we have within family church. We have incredible creative people within family church and creative teams, but they're at their very best when they're submitted and serving something bigger than what they are. That thing is vision. <coughs> I would call this in very ways a Genesis principle. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> a Genesis principle that maybe if I refer to the book of Genesis, some people that are more creative would respond, ah, no, you see, Andy, you're a little bit wrong there because the book of Genesis, you see, is all about the creative. The book of Genesis is all about creation. Uh, Andy, you need to read Genesis 1 again, my friend, because when you when you read Genesis 1, you'll see it's all about creation and the creative. No, it's not. It's all about first vision and then vision being outworked. Let's look at this together. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis, because you're right when you say that creative and creation are important parts of Genesis. But you also need to see that the creative, which was the Holy Spirit, was serving something bigger than itself, himself, which was the visionary, Father God. Let me read these verses to you. Genesis 1. This really jumped out as I was praying on this this morning, thinking on this this morning. It says in Genesis 1, you, you're introduced very much in the early, in the beginnings of everything, in the origins, to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know, God the Father, the visionary, the Word. Uh, the outworker. Now listen to what Genesis actually says, <clears throat> not to crush anyone who feels they're creative, but rather to let you see where you sit in what God's doing. In the beginning, God, that's how the book opens up. I love that. In the beginning, God, God created, the visionary created heavens and earth. Now the earth was formless and empty Darkness was over the surface of the deep. There was voidness. There was chaos. There was, there, well, there was nothing. There was, there was nothingness. Nothing was happening. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He was hovering over this nothingness, waiting for the word of the visionary. Can you see the Holy Spirit is hovering over nothingness, something that needs chaos so it can be arranged, something that needs to be managed in in many ways, the Holy Spirit represents the manager, but also the creator, the creative, the expressor of. So it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless, empty, darkness over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. 
So God then speaks into nothingness. Let there be light. He speaks vision into darkness. And then you read through Genesis. Let there be an expanse between the waters. Let let the water under the sky be gathered in one place. Let there be lights in the expanse. You see that God is speaking vision. Ah, but what happens next? That's when the word of God kicks in. You see, Jesus, we know him as the word of God. Vision expressed, not vision expressed as in glasses. Vision expressed. For those who are watching from other countries, we have a glass company called Vision Express. Now, Jesus, the word of God is vision expressed. And when vision is expressed, then suddenly the Holy Spirit, the creative of God, grabs hold of vision and says, come on, now I've got the boundary lines of what God wants established. Let me stay within these boundary lines and give expression to what the visionary has said. Now we understand the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But there's different expressions of the Trinity in this passage that we're reading in Genesis. And we need to understand the harmony, the non-contention that they had together in producing incredible things, futures and purposes. So let me go over these again because I think this is key. Genesis 1 verses 1 to 3. We're introduced firstly to Father God who's the visionary, the vision caster, nothingness. And then suddenly the vision caster, God says, I've got a plan. I've got a dream. I've got a purpose. Let there be. And as soon as he speaks and suddenly Jesus, the word of God, remember he's the word made flesh, the word become flesh. Suddenly the vision expresser takes from the vision caster, the father, the vision, and begins to manage it and let that vision be known. But then all of a sudden, Holy Spirit says, this is the moment I've been waiting. And then suddenly the creative ability of God takes hold of what the vision has that's been spoken and begins to then form this into all that it was meant to be. When I look at the Trinity, I can kind of see a little bit of a Trinity within how we're to do church but in church church works at its best and again I've got like 25 years behind me Uh, I'm I'm not someone that planted a church six months ago and I'm like here's a few ideas no 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 this isn't theory I've seen this work but church works at its best when there's a unity together between visionary management and creativity but what we need to see that just like it was in Genesis So it is in what we do today, even though we live in an anti-authoritarian age where people don't like submission, people don't like to submit or be subject to something above themselves. We're of a different kingdom and the ways of our kingdom work. The ways of the kingdoms of this world don't work. Look around, listen to the news. Boy, sometimes I listen to the news and I'm like, "Shall shall I watch the news or shall I watch Disney Channel? Because they're about as good as each other, aren't they really, for reality? But when I look at the church, I see a church is a kingdom people where we are not anti-authoritarian. We believe in submission. We believe in things being subject to other things. And that's what's caused the church to last over 2000 years. You see, other isms have come and gone. Other isms and theories made by man lasted a moment but didn't remain for 2000 years. The reason that we're still here and the church is thriving 2000 years later is because of this incredible 
way of working the Lord set in that starts, always starts with vision. Now, there's no limitations in what I'm sharing to you today. The Holy Spirit wasn't limited. When, when God spoke out vision and gave vision, the Holy Spirit didn't respond to Jesus, the word, but was spoken and go, oh, I feel so limited. I feel so controlled. Because the boundaries that God gave as a visionary gave so much room to dance within. Does that make sense? When God spoke vision, he said, let there be light. And the boundaries of that vision that he cast was so expansive. There was no lids limiting the Holy Spirit or the creative. Now, again, let me just go back because I was making a point and I forgot to make it. But just like we see the father as vision, Jesus as the caster of vision, the management of vision, and the Holy Spirit as the outworker or the expresser of vision. So in church, we always need to see a visionary, somebody that's got vision, not their own vision, but vision from God. That's God's downloading vision. And then there needs to be someone that can manage vision. And then there needs to be somebody that can express vision or help express vision or give direction to expression vision. So these three components that were in Genesis should still be in the church of God or a family of, of God today. And, and we're at our best when they are. So, OK, so God never gave um, kind of strict boundaries of, of, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. And vision doesn't do that. But vision has clear directive. Um, sometimes creative people can get out bent out of shape. Um, one of two reasons. One, because the visionary um, casts a vision and then the creative said, but we'd rather do this. Well, it's not about what you'd rather do. It's about it's about you outworking and expression and expressing that which is in the vision that's being cast. Um, and that's where you can sometimes see people get confused. Other times um, it can go a little bit bent out of shape when the creative wants to become the visionary. And that's basically what happened between um, Satan and God. Um, if you read in Ezekiel, um, you see Satan, uh, his name was Lucifer at that point. He was head of creative. Um, he was the head worship leader. You read about him. He was adorned in jewels. His purpose was to reflect glory from God to God. He was a reflector of someone beyond himself. He was somebody that gave expression to someone beyond himself. But then all of a sudden you read about it, it alludes to it in Ezekiel and certain chapters. <clears throat> the creative, which was Lucifer, suddenly said, I don't want to reflect anymore. I don't want to have directions given me anymore. I, I don't want to serve someone else's vision. I want to be the source. I want to be the starting point. And he actually begins to say, I will ascend. I will be like God. I will be. And God says, um, no way, Johnny. Throws him out of heaven. There's not even a debate. The Bible says later, and this is the moment I think Jesus refers to when he says, I saw, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Um, you know, when, when Satan fell from heaven, he didn't jump. He was pushed. OK, he, he there wasn't a debate. There wasn't a, a parliamentary moment of, of who's in charge. The visionary said, you've lost your way now, haven't you? So go. And, and, and Satan was removed because the creative had gone rogue. Um, you see, the creative was only ever there to reflect and express something above itself, which was vision. We need to understand that the management in our church and the creative in our church is only there to serve something. Me, Stuart, anyone else in church, we're there to serve something above ourselves, which is the vision of God for what he wants to do in our generation, if that makes sense. 
hope this didn't get too deep for you or anything. I just think this is a really good subject that I was musing on and I thought I'd share with you. Now, again, there wasn't any limitation um, within the vision that was given. When you read in Genesis 1, I mean, God, the visionary, casts vision, the Holy Spirit um, expresses that, uh, lets that vision be known. And then the Holy Spirit has got this mandate. Let there be light. Get on with it. Um, let there be an expanse between waters and separate. Get on with it. If you would have interviewed the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't have said, I feel so controlled. Because there was so much work. It was a lidless expression. There was so much that was left to him in his creative ability. God never said too much about colours or measurements. or he just, he just released vision. And then the Holy Spirit, the creative of God, took the vision and began to say, right, let's, let's make this colourful. Let, let's make this gorgeous. Let, let, let's make this amazing. You see, vision never gave small detail. It gave enough detail and boundaries for those that needed to manage or create to find total fulfilment of their gift within. And it's the same when we're looking at family church, when God gives us a vision for something we're going to do, say for online church. You'll always find that I'm very, very clear. If you ask any of our creative guys, I'm very, very clear in the, in the broad stroke of what I want to achieve. But then I hope they would say of me that I give a lot of liberty to the small details. Hey, now let's do it like this, Andy. This will be great. Yeah, that's brilliant. I'm clapping with you as long as it doesn't take us off of the path of what we're setting out to achieve. It's the same when we deal with management. Management needs to, because it's the nature of management, suggest great ideas, suggest other ways of doing things, safe ways of doing things. But those other ways or safe ways of doing things shouldn't be a replacement. It shouldn't push vision off of the throne, but rather it should outwork and creative should express that which we all run by or source ourselves from, which is vision. Interesting subject, eh? <clears throat> Notice um, that the creative was fulfilled in fulfilling vision, not limited in any way. Um, vision stopped creative going off the tracks. The beauty of creative people is sometimes they can go far beyond where we wanted to go. And that's a strength because they're overthinking, which enables us to have a resource of thinking that we can use. But if a creative person hasn't got vision, they can go off the tracks and begin to be doing things that aren't going to produce what we want to produce. So a visionary puts in guidelines. So if you're a visionary in a team, a department, even in a household, you've got to be able to lay guidelines that are strong enough to keep us in purpose, but big enough for people to feel that they're fulfilled in expressing it. Um, yeah, what we're kind of speaking of again is that whole thought of ascension gift of the apostolic as well. But you'll notice that when he gave gifts to men, Ephesians 4, uh, he mentions apostles, prophets, evangelists and teachers and pastors. But to me, the apostolic comes first. Some would say, well, it's not an order. It's just how he was speaking them out. No, I don't know if I agree with that. Um, I think when when God spoke about the gifts that he gave to men, he purposely mentioned apostolic first. 
he gave men to be apostles. Because you see, vision comes from apostles, the apostolic. Vision always comes through the apostolic, then to the management, then to the creative for working it out and expressing it. Um, and we need to understand that when we read in Ephesians 4.11, it says, we call them ascension gifts, and he, God, um, gave some, gave gifts to man. And in these gifts, firstly, was the apostolic. The first thing that God gives is vision. The second is the prophetic, because often vision is unseen. Um, you see, when we talk about all of the offices, they all serve a very, very important part. The apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, the teacher. Um, we need good teaching in the church. We need good pastoring in the church. We need evangelism in the church. But we really need vision, not just vision that we can see, but prophetic vision. Now, you say, oh, I'm not sure about this. Well, think of what Paul said earlier in Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2, verses 19. Let's actually go there. Ephesians 2, 19. Let me read this to you. Um, remember, Ephesians 4 says that God gave gifts to men. That's why they're called ascension gifts. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended. Then he gave gifts to the men. He gave gifts to his church. But earlier in Ephesians 2, um, verse 19. Let me have a look. I'm in Galatians. Ephesians 2, verse 19. It says, consequently... You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and a member of God's household now. Now listen to verse 20. God's household, which is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Can you hear what Paul is saying? He's saying that you're now, you're no longer a foreigner, an alien. All of those isms, those racisms, those segregations were a part of the world that was you before the new creation. In the kingdom now, there's none of those things, but we're one household of people belonging to God. A household that's built upon, doesn't mention evangelists or teachers or pastors. It's not disregarding them, but it specifically says it's built upon the apostolic and the prophetic. It's built upon apostles for teaching the direction of apostles and prophets with, here's a key bit, its chief cornerstone or its main thing being Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the main thing of the church. But then Paul teaches that the church is built upon the vision that comes through the apostolic, um, which is normally most often prophetic. It's a wonderful thing when you get true apostles and prophets working together. Now, we've got everyone and their brother calling themselves an apostle or prophet today. You've got prophet doodad and some people, it's, um, you know, it's just a good thing they want to put on their business card. But beyond all that rubbish, there are genuinely true apostles uh, around today. People that God has given to the church that carry this apostolic edge, this, ap this apostolic grace. And there's prophets, genuine prophets around that carry this prophetic grace, this ascension gift. And their role in leading the church is primary, not secondary. It's not up for consensus. What does everybody think? The Bible says that the church is led by the vision that comes through the apostolic, um, which is most often prophetic. But the reason apostles and prophets need to, to walk closely with each other is because 
all of the vision that we cast in church is about things we've not yet seen. You see, management comes in and manages what's been made known. But the apostolic and the prophetic, I wasn't going to teach any of this, but it kind of feels good teaching about this stuff because it's important. Uh, when's the last time you had a message on the ascension gifts? They're important things because it's the management or the order of church, the New Testament church, still today, not just 2000 years ago. So again, the apostolic and the prophetic isn't there to be the big man walking around the room. Hey, I'm an apostle. Everyone, hey, carry my Bible. Well, who, who didn't get me a glass of water? That, that's not the apostle. The apostle is actually, if you read what Paul later refers, is basically the scum of the pot. He's the one that's most abused. He's the one that serves the hardest. He's, he's, he's not this kind of high-flying, adored, give me a throne that we see, in, sadly, in some ministries. But the apostle is, is a chief servant. Um, and his role is to, alongside the prophet, see ahead, see the future, see where God wants something to go, and then cast that vision to management and creative to bring it into existence and being. Um, without trying, I think we've always got this kind of right within family church and I'm so thankful for that you know if you watch the way that um we work together um bad expression behind the scenes because there's no locked doors there's no hidden rooms we're not Mormons we haven't got a little room that nobody can go in everything's open for view we live in public we really do but if you were to watch the behind the scenes working of family church you would see very much the apostolic you would see the vision you would see strong management, the outworking, and, and you would see the creative giving expression. And you'd see no contention, but genuine harmony. Um, and that's been one of our strengths. That's why I'm very, very super keen on protecting our unity. Um, I'm very, very super keen on protecting the unity in everyone in family church, but especially in the layer of the leadership of family church. Because if I was the devil, that is the area I would attack. If I was the devil, I wouldn't play around with things that really aren't gonna affect much. I'd go to bring a wedge between vision, management, and expression of vision. That's where I would aim. Now, good news, newsflash, I'm not the devil, okay? Contrary to things you may have heard from people that have upset, I'm not, all right, so relax. But if I was, I wouldn't waste time just getting uh, issues between sheep. I would go for the shepherds. I would, I would say, listen, if what they're producing is the product of strong vision, management of vision, expression of vision, let me mess something up there. Because then just like the Tower of Babel, I can confuse them and stop them building. That's why if you ask any of my team, I've always been super, super, not, dictative or or dictatorial but very strong in protecting our relationship in what we're leading um and as we've done that we've been able to have a harmony but there's no contention in family church we don't have people saying i want to be this one i want to be that one i want to be that you know we have okay what's the vision how do we now outwork that vision and how do we best express that vision vision Outworking, expression, three things. Same things present in the book of Genesis. Um, it's, it's not who is best, it's 
how do we produce the best? Does that make sense? It's not in family church. We're not an organisation, a government organisation or uh, a secular or even humanitarian organisation where there's contention of who's the best. In our kingdom organisation, our spiritual organisation, it's how do we do what God's asked us to do the best? How can we get his vision, cast his vision, translate his vision, manage this vision and express this vision so that lost souls are saved? Uh, People don't go to hell anymore. Listen, with all the stuff that's going on in in life at the moment, please, 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 let's stay centred that the hell, the flames of hell are still burning and lost people are still going to hell. God's vision for his church The reason one of the existence of the church is to multiply itself, to reach the lost. The day we stop focusing on reaching the lost, we must as well just go home because it's not a key, it's the key. We're to go and find, we're to be harvest field people. So other issues are important, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they're not. Other issues carry great value. But let's never replace the vision that he called the Great Commission. He never ever called anything else great. Let's stay true to the Great Commission, the vision of the Great Commission. Well, Pastor, we want you to concentrate on this. Tough. I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to God. Well, we think, I don't care what you think. I care what God thinks. I'm, I'm not here to please man. I'm not here to outwork man's dreams. I'm here to hear heaven and somehow see heaven invade earth. And you'll never see heaven invade earth if you're not living true to heaven's vision. So again, we all in our leadership need to be more scared of God, more fearful of God than what we are of people's opinions. Not a fear that makes us run from him, but just a fear that makes us submit. Um, you know, to me, I'm at my best when I'm out working or, or vision casting what comes from God. My vision, any vision I've got, It's rubbish in comparison. Any vision I've got outside of God's, it's rubbish. It's rubbish. It's just, it'll last a moment. It'll be good for a week or a year. It's rubbish. It's it's right. God's vision. (laughs) God's vision changes everything. He, he, He comes into chaos, darkness like creation. And he says, family church, do this. And then suddenly we hear that sound and we say, hey, management team, how do we do this? Hey, creative, how do we express this? And I think that's been one of our gifts to England and beyond Um, and hopefully it'll continue to be our gift to the world as well so all right so vision is the key thing are you saying the others are not important no 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 go back and listen again the others are important but creative is at its best when it's serving vision management is at its best when it's serving vision vision is the key thing the bible doesn't say without management things perish In some degree, they will. But it says, without vision, people perish, cast off restraint, go into mere existence, walk around in never-ending circles uh, and not realising that everything they're doing has already been done. It's time for something new. Then vision, the voice, the sound of vision breaks through the darkness of normality and mere existence and says, how about this? God wants to do this now. Oh, when we grasp vision, it keeps us fresh, keeps us alive. Any time in my life I start feeling stale, I ask the Lord for more vision. 
because boy, when his vision comes, it takes the staleness out of the bread of my life. Sometimes, you know, you can just get caught in a rut and end up like a bit of old bread on a bird table, dry, crusty. But all of a sudden you get on your knees and you say, let me know what you want, Lord. Let me know what's on your heart, Lord. Let me know what you want to do. And all of a sudden, the word of God begins to speak and the Holy Spirit, the word and the spirit begin to dance in you. You begin to dream again. You begin to say, come on, let's change the world. Hey, hey, what are we doing? Let's change the world. Come on, this is the heart of God. And suddenly the stale bread that was on the bird table becomes moist again, becomes full of life again, becomes bouncy, nutritious again. Without vision, things perish. Now, every coin's got two sides. If without vision, things perish. With vision, they don't. If without vision, things merely exist, then with vision, things thrive. Come on, believe with me. Let's be, continue to be a thriving church because we're a church that's not contending amongst itself about who's the greatest. Remember that, that funny argument between Jesus and the disciples. They're walking down the road and, and uh, there was a, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to sit on the left-hand side? Who's going to sit on the right-hand side? Jesus, when you come. Yeah, even the mums were getting involved. Can you remember my son? Who's going to be on your left? And Jesus was just like, stop it, stop it. You don't know what spirit you're of here, do you? You don't understand that the kingdom is, is a kingdom of harmony, working together, a common productivity. But the kingdom is a place of vision management and expression. So, okay, let's bring this in for a landing because time's nearly gone. We've spoken a lot about church, but what about your life? Are you feeling dry and crusty? Um, is your marriage feeling dry and crusty like an old bit of bread on a bird table waiting for a blackbird to come and take it? Um, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to just keep looking at your feet moaning or are you going to lift your head to the great visionary because again as I'm as I'm talking today I, I'm not saying I'm God please don't ever hear that I, I'm saying I have the privilege to outwork a bigger vision than my own which is God's but I don't just get to do that in church I get to do that in my marriage I get to do that with my kids don't always get it right I'm, I'm not like I'm not like Yoda sitting there at a point of perfect I am no, no nothing like that I'm still walking my journey but I just know that when things begin to get rusty or crusty, get vision, get vision. If you look at your marriage today and it's just going through the motions, what, what you're actually doing is you're perishing because if, if you're not advancing, then you're going backwards. There's no floating around in the middle of, of, of anything. You're either advancing or you're, you're, you're floating, you're drifting. Advance. If your marriage feels a little bit less spicy or... or fiery or do something about it get vision think of something that will add fresh life something you used to do that you stopped doing don't just sit in a chair and moan and let things die around you that non-visionary life is ridiculous god's the giver of life and when a person comes to him and says lord this area of my life is dying give me vision I believe that God will always give vision. We may not like the vision he gives because you may have to say sorry or something, <laughs> but he'll always give vision. What about finances? You can sit in a chair and go, oh, it's all going wrong. Um, I'm just going to hit a wall here. Yeah, yeah, you could do. You could do. That's one option. Or you could shut out the noise of the world 
get on your knees, come before the visionary and say, Lord, what's your vision for my finances? But again, you may not like the answer. He may tell you to do something radical like tithe or something, <laughs> but he will speak. Because you see, the problem or the good problem with visionaries is we can't shut up. And if you're ever around a visionary, um, they just don't stop speaking. We had to build an understanding, me and Stuart and our leaders, of, of me actually qualifying when I wanted something done. Because any of my guys will tell you, if you hang around me, I'm constantly going, let's do this, let's do this. Hey, we could do this. Hey, we could do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And, and the early years of working together, everybody started to do the things that I was saying. And, and after a while, I remember Stuart came to me and he said, Andy, um, you're constantly speaking about things that we can do will do could you just let us know the things that you'd like to do now and I went oh yeah yeah but you know what I'm so I'm so glad they didn't go stop speaking vision it's the same with God whenever you're in his presence he's speaking vision he's speaking vision he can't help himself he's a visionary he's the great visionary have we got ears to hear what he's saying or, or do we want to hear what he's saying are, are we ready for some new marching orders are we ready for some new instruction because when we submit our lives to his instruction and his directive things that were dead live again like the song says dry bones become an army graves become gardens but it's our inclusion to him you see hey i'm going to preach a big word on sunday hang around sunday and the part of my word on sunday that god's dropping in my heart to speak it's just this thought of when we come to God, we're to repent. Repentance is many things, but repentance is a turning away from something. But a lot of people forget that it's also a turning towards something. You see, if a person repents and turns away from something, they've only half fulfilled the objective of repentance. See, when we repent, we turn from, but we also turn to. What do we turn to? The will of God. You see, in our repentance, we turn from our will, our way of doing things, to bring our lives into submission, to make them subject again to a will that's greater than our own, which is God's will. And boy, when we start to live by the will of God, suddenly that's when the things that were dead come alive again. Because within God's will is his vision. Within his vision is his will. Not just for his church, but for you. I want to encourage you, if you look around the landscape of your life today, and you can see something that looks like that old bit of bread on a bird table. I hope that makes sense. It's the only analogy I could see as I was speaking it. Crusty, dry, lifeless, something that once lived. Now just breakable, snappable, because it's lost its flexibility and its life. It's not too late. It's not too late. Go to the great visionary. Get vision for that marriage, that health. Maybe you're looking at your health and going, oh my goodness, I merely existed. Do something about it. Don't, don't, you know, good intentions don't change anything. Actions, making a decision changes things. Good intentions are overrated if you ask me. It's like when you meet someone and they say, oh, it was your birthday last week. Um, 
I thought about getting you a gift. I was going to get... No, no, that's no good, is it? Your, your thoughts didn't give me anything. They didn't produce anything. I'm glad that you had your thoughts, but it didn't change my world. No, 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 let's, let's not live in good intentions, maybes, one days. But let's be listening for the vision that comes from God, for our lives and the church. And then let's us all be outworkers of that vision. And as we do, dead things come back to life. Dry things become moist. And suddenly life begins to get coloured in again. Where there's no vision, it's like life suddenly goes monochrome. It goes black and white. It's like a colour movie suddenly turns into a black and white classic. But actually, when you begin to get vision from God, that which became monochrome, black and white, becomes full of colour again. Hey, I hope this has helped you today. And uh, like I said, I'm so thankful for everyone in Family Church that would be involved in the area that I've spoken of that would be management. Um, so thankful um, for the area within Family Church called Creative. Love everyone that's in these teams. But let's also make our decision that unlike the world, we're not going to try and remove visionary but we're going to make vision the main thing. Hey, hope you enjoyed that. There were some good thoughts in there about being a visionary and what vision is, and I uh, hope you got a stack of stuff out of it. Um, be sure to come back and join us for some other podcasts. See you soon.